Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Radio 927 WFNZ, Wesson Walker, Willie and Fitty in for the boys today. If if there's one that I would say that is somewhat overrated, whoa, I'm not a big fan of this one. How? I'm just not a big fan of it. Oh, okay. Just, just, just the song, not not Michael Jackson's verse, just the, that that song altogether. Oh, Willie. Not uh, a big fan of it. I absolutely love... Okay, all right. So now since you just poo-pooed all over the Jackson 5, I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. No, it's not poo-pooing the Jackson 5. It's just the actual song that I'm not a fan of. All right, as you're eating on the air, which is something, as a radio vet, you know not to do. I know. I'm just I'm trying to. What is your favorite Christmas song? I, I am a big Jingle Bell Rock guy. I love Jingle Bell Rock. Oh, that's that's good because that's what you're dancing like a week ago. Look, you were rocking to Jingle Bell Rock. I like Jingle Bell Rock. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Mine, what, what do you think mine is? If you just had to guess. Santa Baby. No, it's... Um, <laughs> it's not a bad song. My favorite, and I have two favorite versions of it, is Do You Hear What I Hear? Yeah, the, the 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 Bing Cosby verse. And actually, listen to it all my Cro- way. Bing Crosby, not Cosby. Yeah, Crosby. I always. It, it, not, it's not Bill Cosby. Uh, I listened to that on the way home last night, and then the Carrie Underwood version is also equally as good. But that is my all-time if, favorite Christmas if, song. If, if we're going more non-secular, I am a big old Holy Night fan. Josh Groban, that version. For go, if we're going to the to the more faith based Christmas songs, oh come all you faithful, mm-hmm. those those are the ones that I get down with more. Okay, I do also like the Trans Siberian Orchestra uh, Christmas e- Christmas Eve in Sarajevo. That's yeah, I mean that's that's just a requirement. Like if if you if you love the Christmas season, you have to love those song that that song this time of the year because it's the it's it's the I guess sequential is that the right word? Is that even a word? What's the word you're trying to say? I said sequential. No, that's no, not a word. That's not a word. Um, it, it it is the it is the the song the, of the, the the essential song yes. of the season. Yeah. The the the. the <laughs> this is what happens when you come in the studio. I forget how to talk. Trust me, I think everybody's happy about that part. <laughs> it is uh, a fantastic eve of football Saturday with the Panthers getting ready for the Detroit Lions here tomorrow at the bank. Our coverage begins 10 o'clock tomorrow at the Jack Daniels Doghouse and the Audi Charlotte Studios. I'll be on actually with Mac. Uh, KB has the day off tomorrow, so I'll have pre and post, and hopefully we're talking about a Panther victory tomorrow. But this defense is in for a world of pain 
not pain, but a, a world of hurt when it comes to what the Lions can do with their offense. And I, I just, I look at this, I, I refuse to believe that Jared Goff just all of a sudden had a renaissance because of a new, a new place. But over the last seven games, 1,700 yards, 11 touchdowns, and one interception. And the one interception was in that first game of that seven-game stretch, too. So six consecutive games without an INT. Now, one thing that's good for, for the Panthers is that they've also taken care of the ball well also with with Jared or with uh, Sam Darnold, obviously, not having the, uh, the interceptions to go with that as well. But they have done very, very well to try and make things somewhat easy for Sam. But in terms of where the Panthers are on defense... How eye-opening was what they did against the Pittsburgh Steelers, or I should say what they didn't do from a coverage standpoint with with Henderson down and from a run game standpoint? Because I think the part of this that I don't think people really spend enough time, everybody wanted to sit there and bag on Keith Taylor, which I'm I'm so, I'm so totally there for. But Rising all pro. Ri- no, I, rising star, <laughs> not rising all pro uh, for, from what I would say last year. And again, this is why Keith Taylor's better as a fourth corner as opposed mm-hmm. to a second or a third. Because I don't think he was re- I don't think he was ready for that on uh on Sunday last week and, and I don't think he's any more ready than he is six days later. But I do feel like if the Panthers can get themselves off the field, limit DeAndre Swift and, and not make it look like it did with Najee Harris last week, I do feel like there's a path to victory for the Panthers. I think it's more dependent on what the offense does, but people seem to think that we're shortchanging the Lions offense when we say something like that. Yeah, um, by the way, I do want to shout out the listeners texting in via the Garage Door Guru text line. Quintessential was the word that I was looking for. <laughs> when, it, when it came to what happened last week, I, I think the biggest thing that I, that I got most frustrated with as, a, as an observer of the Panthers was they made the game easy for Mitch Trubisky. I never once thought that he was under pressure. I never thought he was overwhelmed. And a lot of the same issues that we complain about Sam Darnold exist in Mitch Trubisky. When he, when he has time to throw, though, he looks like a competent quarterback. And so I want to see Al Holcomb be so much more aggressive. I, I don't know what the future holds for Steve Wilkes if he gets this job or not. You would imagine that he would overturn some of the staff. I haven't been all that impressed with Al Holcomb as the team's defensive well, coordinator. The only thing I would say to counter that is that the thing that made me impressed is that when they are at their full deck, and again, it's it's not all the way full because you don't have Dante Jackson, but when they were at their full deck, they were able to use Jeremy Chin the way that I think Jeremy Chin intends to be used, which is closer to the line of scrimmage, more like a hybrid linebacker and safety. He can be used in coverage, but if you're using him on man-to-man coverage, that's not his best attribute. I don't think he's that kind of a thumper. I'd rather see him as a thumper closer to the line and as a run stuffer and also a blitzing guy. And the fact of the matter is, once C.J. Henderson went down on that you know, first or second drive, they only blitzed about two or three times during that game that I can remember and two of those three times they got beat. Mm-hmm. Also, by the way, how much did we come away from that game? And look, C.J. Henderson hasn't been the type of guy that the Panthers traded for. Mm-hmm. But you could argue on Sunday they they truly missed him because Key Taylor just got picked on over and over and over again. And so I think that's where it is. But to me, it starts all up front. I mean, Brian Burns was basically a non-factor once again in this game. Frankie Louvu is so hard to ask him to be a productive guy week in, week out because he's an undersized pass rusher. 
But when Brian Burns isn't giving you anything, you need someone else to step up. And so I think that's the thing. I think when this team looked back at the film and they checked themselves uh, as as a unit, that's that second half drive to start the game. Very, uh, yes, was everything you needed to know about how that game. That game, the game was over. The game was effectively over after the Steelers went down on a twenty play over eleven minute drive. I don't think you're going to see them let that happen this week. The Lions are going to score. Their offense mm-hmm. is too good. They're too diverse. Uh, ben Johnson is one of the best, you know, schemers, play callers right now in the league. Golf's playing at a high level, but I do think you will see a more aggressive version of this Panthers defense. And I think when they play aggressive, good things tend to happen. Well, that's the thing. It's 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 going to come down to whether or not they can get pressure. It, it's it's incredibly evident that they have trouble getting pressure when it's just those four, and that unfortunately speaks to the fact that that both Brian Burns and Derek Brown, although Brown had a better game last week than he has here recently, but but Burns and Brown have to be their stars. It goes back to the thing that, that Steve Wilkes said at the beginning of this run is that the stars have to play like stars, yet even if the stars do play like stars, there are some like Chris Sims, who uh, speaks of course for Pro Football Talk with Mike Florio, he says he doesn't see that there's an avenue for the Panthers to win because of the O-line offense. I respect the Panthers and what they've been doing and playing tough and all that, but I just I have a hard time thinking they can win this game. And the fact that the Lions are, you know, they're hot. They are, and you know, the Panthers' defense. I respect them. I do. They got a lot of things to like. I mean, you know, we talked about it a little last week. There's talent across the board, but the one issue that you know they're not necessarily always great in is stopping the run. And and I, the Lions' offense just has incredible balance. It can beat you any way. And then you know we've talked about the way Jared Goff is playing, the way Ben Johnson calls the game. It, it's it's really across the board. It's one of the best offenses in the game. They just don't have like a superstar superstar quarterback. So I don't think people are quite giving it the attention it deserves. I think the key to this game is to make the Lions one-dimensional. And I'm not saying necessarily make Jared Goff beat you, but while he has had pretty good totals over the course of the last six, seven weeks uh, in the win over the Jaguars, 337 yards passing against the Vikings, 330 yards passing. You know, this is a situation where the pass offense in the league for them is eighth best. So I do feel like, you know, you have opportunities against them. But again, there's other opportunities here where in the Packer game, even though that game was a win, they won that game with only 137 yards passing. Against the Giants, they won that game with only 165 yards passing. And I think it's it's just important for the Panthers, if they want to keep this game in the balance, they have to, I honestly feel like, sell out against the pass and dare them to run the football. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's where I struggle with because as you heard in that cut from Chris Sims, this offense is diverse. You've got DeAndre Swift. You got Jamal Williams coming out of that backfield. Mm-hmm. They've got Amr uh, Amron St. Brown, who's as good a wide receiver that J.C. Horn's going to be matched up against. He's right up there. He's just as good as D.K. Metcalf. Sure. He, he just doesn't have the body that D.K. does. They add Jamison Williams back into the fold, and we all know the type of playmaker he could be. You go back and watch his film when he was at Alabama. And so, I, to me, I don't think it's making them one-dimensional. I think it's you got to win on early downs. Sure. You go back and you look what Pittsburgh did last week. They were great on first down. Yeah, they just lived in second and shorts and then third and you know ones, third and twos. And even the bad offenses are going to convert those more often than not in this modern NFL. To me, if Brian Burns is the guy that you, know, you, you, you weren't willing to trade for or trade mm-hmm. away because he has potential – 
I want him and Derek Brown to have their fingerprints on this game. That's absolutely true. I, I feel like those two and Jeremy Chin have to be able to make big plays. And Shaq Thompson, too. Because mm-hmm. I, I think we've seen a couple of games now from Shaq Thompson where he's looked like that dude. Where he's looked like the guy that we thought he could be, you know, that next Luke Keekley of this defense and that next TD of this defense. I'm not saying that he's on those guys' levels yet, but from a leadership standpoint, that's where it's got to come from. And, you know, I also feel like if you want to have somebody who has to be a game wrecker, it's got to be our guy Frankie Luvu. Like, like Luvu has got to have one of those, you know three or four tackle for loss games, it'd be a sack and then just lots of plays in the open field. They, they, for whatever reason against the Steelers did not have hats around the football and every other victory in in, in every victory for the season for the Panthers. The big, big thing was that they always kind of had a grasp on what the other team was doing. Where if if they didn't necessarily uh, make a stop, they at least had hats around the football to limit the big play. The problem is the Steelers had too many chunk plays, number one, and number two, getting their work done early on early downs put them in very disadvantageous situations. They need to shrink the playbook for the Lions offensive brain trust and for Jared Goff by extension. The thing about Luvu being that game wrecker, when does that happen? It happens when he knows that Derek Brown's going to win his matchup. It happens when he knows that Brian Burns is going to win his matchup. Whenever he can just basically pin his ears back and focus on living in the backfield, that's when we see him make those game-changing plays. But when those guys aren't winning their battles and they're the ones that are getting pushed around, now all of a sudden he's still making plays, but they're six, seven, eight yards down the field. And so that's where I think, you know, this comes back to, as you mentioned, what Steve Wilkes said when, when this run started. Our stars got to be stars. Your final home game of the year. You're coming off your first home loss under Steve Wilkes. How are you going to respond? Brian Burns and Derek Brown have the ability to dominate the game up front. If they do that, I think you can see big plays from Luvu. Shaq looks his best. And, and, and you know, look, at some point they're going to have to throw J.C. Horn's way. Mm-hmm. And maybe J.C. Horn, who who is becoming a lockdown number one corner in this league, makes a play or two that he made at Seattle a few weeks ago, and that changes the tide. But it all comes back to the trenches. Are you Are you a fan of him following St. Brown? Because I, I see positives and negatives with it. Because the, pro- the problem is they are going to force it J.C.'s way when it comes to St. Brown. And my only question, my only thing is, while I think J.C., uh, as opposed to you know what Wes thinks, I think J.C. is a shutdown corner. But I think the thing that helps J.C. is that when you throw his way, he can make a pick. Yeah. And so, I- if they just, so if they're just going to ignore J.C. Horn all day because of what else is out there, that doesn't put the Panthers in the best position to win. They need, they, they need for whatever reason, J- Jared Goff needs to have the gall to throw it J.C. Horn's way, and J.C. Horn has to have even more gall to intercept the pass and or break it up. I know in this era of number one corners, you're only a number one if you travel with a guy. Here's what I, here's what I look at when I look at J.C. Horn. His side of the field is shut down. Mm-hmm. And so I think if, if he can do that, if he doesn't travel but – no matter where he lines up, Jared Goff knows I can't go that that person's way, whether it's Amra St. Brown, whether it's Jamison Williams. You've got to account for Swift or Jamal Williams coming out of the backfield and catching passes. If J.C. Horn can still impact the game that way, I don't think it matters if he doesn't travel because the, because of how, how diverse this uh, Lions offense is. If he travels, you're only going to expose the other parts of your defense. So if I'm Al Holcomb, if, if I'm Steve Wilkes, 
And I can say going into Sunday, I know when he lines up on the right or left side, that side of the field is accounted for. I feel a lot better about my defense matching up with this multiple offense from the Lions. Just don't put Keith Taylor on Amon Ross St. Brown. That, that's, that's all. <laughs> let's, let's, let's protect my guy as much as we can. It is Wesson Walker, Willie P in for Wesson Walker, along with Eddie Bitty Fitty. Uh, we're going to give you uh, our most outrageous Christmas takes about a half hour from right now. We'll talk some soccer next. Bobby Belair, Charlotte FC technical director will join us next to go over Charlotte FC's MLS super draft and the rest of their off season on sports radio, 92.7 WFNZ. side for Reyna with a cross. It's Gage off the top of the crossbar. Svidersky has it. Svidersky with a shot. They score! And Carol Svidersky might have rescued Charlotte's playoff hopes with a goal and out in time. The comeback is everything. The second 45 is magnificent and they never gave up. Each of these goals shows the determination. It shows the fight. It shows the never-say-die attitude. Hard to believe that we are two months and two days away from the home opener for Charlotte FC against the New England Revolution. Tickets on sale now at charlottefootballclub.com for that game as well. Uh, $15 upper bowl tickets as they try to pack the bank once again. And I promise you it will not be 26 degrees like it will be tomorrow, even though I'll probably still be there as well. Cheering the Panthers on, man who uh, was in the war room uh, the other night. When Charlotte FC was in the MLS Super Draft, moved up to take number one overall, Hamidi Diop out of Clemson, and Patrick Agumong of Rhode Island. A couple of other picks, too, in the later rounds. Bobby Belair, the technical director of Charlotte FC, joins us on the Body Works Plus guest line. Bobby, happy holidays to you, my friend. How's everything? Happy holidays, Will. Uh, doing fantastic. Honestly, I'm still buzzing from uh, the other night in the Super Draft. We're stoked about uh, the way we handle the draft and the players that we acquired. Well, I know why you like him. Uh, the pedigree, uh, obviously, both uh, both you guys coming from Clemson, that's an easy transition there. But what specifically, I guess, compelled you guys to make that move to go up to number one? Because uh, that was a big, big move from 20 down uh, to try and get that. $450,000 of game is a pretty penny to spend on it. What was so special about this player? Yeah, well, honestly, Will, all biases aside from my Clemson days, uh, Hamadi was just straightforward, the best talent that we saw in, in college soccer. And, 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 you know, even beyond that, we felt that there were three targets who could really help us build into the future for the club. And we got all three of those guys. We got Hamadi at number one. We signed uh, Brandon Cambridge from Portland, uh, who we traded homegrown rights from Vancouver. That was another big one that made go one look. And then also acquiring Patrick Aguiman, uh, what a talent he is, too. Uh, but specifically on Amity, he's a player that can play multiple positions. His soccer IQ, I think, is off the charts. He really understands the game and what it asks of him. I think he's going to fit really well into our system. And, and we were super clear in the offseason about our team needs and about our player profiles. And, and we, we feel that Amity really serves a big need for the club. Uh, he has a talent to be a big player. Uh, and he's a really humble kid who I think is going to join uh, a team that it will welcome him in and we'll see his talent from, from the day we kick off at preseason. Is he the kind of guy, because I think, I think Ben was, was forced into service almost by necessity in the early portion of the season. He also earned that spot, but is he a guy who you feel like can be a, an immediate contributor? 
Look, I think I think the sky is the limit for Amity. I think he could definitely be a, an immediate contributor. Uh, but the the reality of it is, is we won't put pressure on him to be an immediate contributor. It'll be natural. We'll see how he fits in. We'll see if he needs anything, uh, any adjustments. Um, and what's great is he'll be working with the top coaching staff. We're really excited about the staff that we've assembled this year. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're, we have plans to announce that in the in the new year. But under Latanzio, you know, a, a true player developer, the sky's the limit for Amity. Talk with Bob Belair, the technical director of Charlotte FC. Charlotte FC making four selections on Wednesday's MLS Super Draft and also the the Brandon Cambridge move, which I'll ask you about in just a moment. But uh, one more on Hamadi. You know, he he projects as either a left center back or a left full back. He also can play the right side. He tells me that his right foot is actually starting to progress as well. Uh, I'm not going to let you tip. I'm not going to I'm not going to force you to tip your hand. But from a versatility standpoint, wh- where do you think he's better at uh, when it comes to those two positions on the left side, center back or full back? Yeah, that's a great question. It was something that when we interviewed him at the college combine, we asked him that and. You know, he said that he really sees himself as a left back. I think he projects that way long term. But look, he is so good on the ball and he's so strong physically. He could definitely play a role at left center back. He, Like you said, he could play as a right back and even as a right center back. He could play anywhere across the back line. Um, and his passing ability will, you know, you saw on the highlights, his ability to strike the ball. He scored off a free kick. He's just an unbelievable uh, talent. And so it was one that we couldn't pass on and, you know, we had to make the commitment to move up from, from number 20, which, you know, there's not been a lot of trades for the number one spot in the history of the Super Draft. But we were ambitious enough to want to go get the players that we wanted in this Super Draft and uh, and really pleased with how it went. Uh, and a similar move that you guys made to last year when you acquired Chris Hagard, got his homegrown rights from Seattle. You did the same thing here with uh, with Brandon Cambridge, a 20-year-old Canadian who was a standout at the University of Portland as a midfielder. What do we like about this guy? Yeah, so Brandon was also born in New York, so he is he is a domestic player for us. Uh, so he was a junior, uh, you know, in college and was not going to be available for the draft. So we went out and and made the trade happen with Vancouver. We feel that he could play. Uh, he's two footed, which we really love with our wingers. So he could play on the right side and cut in on his left. He could play on the left, take it to the end line, or cut back on his right. Uh, he's a player that can score goals. He has a really good uh, idea and understanding of space and working with his teammates. So he's he's uh, he's got a lot of assists in college as well. And we feel that with his athletic profile, it'll fit in with what Latanzio wants to do. Uh, and yeah, I think you know if you look at the grand scheme of things and, and all of college soccer, he was one of the top three attacking players, and we were able to get him outside of the draft. I know that there are certain moves happening uh, coming in and coming out that have not been announced officially by the club, so I won't put you in that position uh, when it comes to those players. But how important was it, with all kind of the movement on the front line, to get a player of Patrick Agumong's skill set? He's a big target, uh, has a nose for the goal. What what was it? uh, How important was it to be able to get back into the first round and, and find that guy as well? Yeah, it was, that was one of the moves that I was maybe even more excited about. Uh, you know, Amadi obviously was, was fantastic to pick number one again, but getting this guy at the 12 spot, we we were calling, you know, I was calling teams at every position basically and, and trying to see what teams were thinking about doing and, and who they were going to take. And so trying to strategize when we think, when we thought he would go. And when he was falling back out of the top 10, we all looked at each other in the room and said, let's do it. So called Colorado uh, and, and was able to acquire the 12th spot, I think, at a bargain. You know, if you think about the 12th spot, that would mean that you would 
finish the season outside the playoffs and be drafting 12. So we feel that our goal is to make the playoffs next year. We'll, we'll likely be drafting 20th or higher. So moving up for 50K was a no-brainer for us. Talk with Bob Belair, the Charlotte FC technical director here. And I know that this probably is more of a question for Zoran, but I know that you are a big part of the player development process. What are the other goals this offseason for Charlotte FC in terms of player acquisition? Because I, I know that there are a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of questions about kind of where some of the holes are going to get plugged. Left back was one of those questions. I think, you know, central attacking mid is, is obviously another one. Could that be a Carol Svidersky situation? Uh, wh where do you feel like the holes still are on the club and where do you feel like those are going to get filled? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and like you said, it's a tough one for me to answer out loud right now. We hope to be able to share some, some good news with, with you guys and our fans uh, very soon. Uh, we've been working really hard and diligently. As you know, our scouting department is top class. Uh, and so, you know, we've identified our, our needs. We've identified the specific profiles that we need to bring into the team. Uh, and we're working on that really hard. Christian Latanzio as a developmental coach, uh, I think is a very fascinating transition into this year because, you know, he started the year last year as, uh, you know, a top assistant. And, and one of the things that I think gained him the trust of you guys was that individualistic approach that he takes to a lot of these players where, you know, he'll pull aside a guy, he'll, he'll do the film study and he'll, he'll show guys where improvements need to be made. How much of that do you feel like he can do still as a head coach while also maintaining the fact that, that his job, I think, firstly and foremostly, is to make sure that each guy is getting the most out of themselves when they're on the pitch? Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, we saw what Latanzio was able to do with, with just five months uh, last year as an interim. And he was also operating with a, with a smaller staff than what he'll be able to work with this year. So coming in and having a full coaching staff, uh, a little bit more experience uh, in that regard, I think is going to give him time to do uh, more of his individual development, the, the way that he wants to work and, and to define the principles that he wants his players to understand. So, yeah, I think going into this year, he, that's, that's, that's who he is. It, he's never gonna, that's never going to leave his DNA is to improve players, to look after their well-being. Uh, he's a fantastic individual, a great man, um, and he cares about everyone. So as long as uh, you know, he's getting the accountability from the players, he's going to improve them and make them better. We talked about versatility with Hamidi Diop, uh, the number one overall pick, but I, I think it's something that defined even Charlotte FC's most uh, – most high-profile player with Carol Spiderski late in the season. We thought he was going to be a true number nine and a center forward, but he kind of settled into a number 10 role during the latter part of the season. And I think uh, the best way to answer this question, I know is probably fluid, Bobby, but in terms of where you see Carol, it, it seems like there's kind of an open-ended term when it comes to his role going into the start of next season. Yeah, and, and look, honestly, if you think about it, as a, a number nine DP player, you got to give a lot of credit to Carroll for the way that he took on that responsibility and took on the new role to, to, to close out the year. You know, we were at a stage where the team needed certain things, and he was super open to taking on that new role, playing as a 10, more of a creator, second forward, if you would like. Uh, so a lot of credit goes to Carroll for being open-minded about that, especially leading up to a World Cup. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think we have a player there, a designated player who can make a big impact in multiple positions. But you also saw he's able to play on the as a winger as well. He likes to drift out wide. He likes to cut in. Um, so for us, he's a versatile guy that we can use in multiple different scenarios. Um, and obviously, you know, the announcements that are forthcoming, I think, will you know, you'll better be able to answer that question. How excited are you to be able to open at home and? 
We hope that we get the same kind of turnout we had for the home opener last year, looking for 70,000-plus inside the bank next year uh, for that opener against New England Revolution. It's an interesting starting stretch, too, with all three of those games right there in a row. New England, uh, Road, St. Louis for for their first home game as an MLS side, and then uh, home against Atlanta. That is a very enticing opening stretch here for this team. Hey, you got to love it. You got to love it. We're able to to play at home in front of our fans to open up again and and to kick off the 2023 season. Um, And then, look, going on and playing the brand-new expansion team in their house, they're going to be super pumped. And uh, I think it benefits us, honestly, to play them that early, uh, to give them a little taste of what Charlotte FC, the Black and Blue, are about. And then, obviously, welcoming in our rivals in in Atlanta in Game 3. It's going to be a really fun three-game stretch to kick off 2023, and uh, it'll be a good test for our boys. Charlotte FC Technical Director Bobby Belair. I I will keep the blue and white wrapping paper on standby for those announcements coming in uh, here at the uh, in the near future here for Charlotte FC. Appreciate the time. Happy holidays to you and the staff over there, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Will. Happy holidays to you too. That is Bobby Belair joining us here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, and the the blue and white uh, intonation there is an homage to Enzo Capetti, who. According to multiple media outlets, looks like he's going to join Charlotte FC as a, a forward. Uh, he can be somebody who's used as either a second striker or a nine or a winger. Uh, that might lend an answer to what is going to happen fully with Carol Svidersky because they did really unlock something with him as a playmaker as the number 10. But uh, I do feel like you want to see your DP also try and score goals. So it's 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 interesting to see how they will figure that out over the course of the next couple of weeks and months. But uh, I know Christian Latanzio is up to the task. And uh, he mentioned some other announcements possibly coming as well, whether or not they get another uh, left back in there or somebody else in the midfield to help out as well. But there is something else brewing. Uh you may or may you remember, may or may or not remember at the beginning of the Premier League season, Josh Fiddy Marlowe uh, took to the stage and basically called me out and said, Willie, I'm going to uh, start watching the Premier League and I'm going to root for Arsenal, which is, you know, the arch rival of, of Tottenham, my uh, my preferred team of choice from the uh, ML- uh, from the uh, English Premier League season. Uh, and uh, as I said to him, I said, I, I, you know, I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to your uh, Premier League dedication, because I saw it once football season started, uh, you were probably going to drop off and taper off. And lo and behold, that's basically what ended up happening. I think the first 730 game against Arsenal, he, you said, bleep that, I'm not doing this. And uh, you then summarily gave me all of your Arsenal gear to sell on eBay. And I think we also have one uh, Arsenal fan who actually wants to buy it uh, on our text line. But you have wanted and, and have given me the desire of yours to want to have a little bit of a resurgence in the Premier League fandom, and you want to come back as a Tottenham fan. My first question to you is, why do you want to do this to yourself? And number two, can I expect a better amount of dedication from you as a supposed Tottenham fan than you were as a supposed Arsenal fan? Well, for one, all of my teams disappoint me and depress me. I know the the long-standing history of Tottenham not having won a... A, a title since 1960. Mm-hmm. So this would just only add to what the Cowboys do to me on a yearly basis, the Mets, Tar Heel football, so, so on. So basically you're a sadist is what you're telling yes. me. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I, I love being a depressed sports fan. So that that's one. And also, yes, because when my interest to watch the Premier League got peaked by watching and following the Charlotte FC season, the whole goal was to get on the bandwagon with you because – 
believe it or not, even though I might bully you on the air, you 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 and I are really good friends here at the station and even outside of work. Mm-hmm. So it was not something. It was something we could really. You know, we have our Mets fandom. Then we can have our Tottenham fandom. You want you want kidship is what you're is what you felt a little lonely out there on Arsenal Island. Yeah, well, and I just feel lonely in general because you know I don't have a woman. Flounder's always trying to get rid of me. I needed I thought, someone I thought, else to bond with. I thought you had. I thought uh, you were talking but, with. Uh, with at with the time, lady. I didn't. Oh, you didn't. And, and so it really hurt me that when I went public with this desire to get into the Premier League, you weren't there to recruit me. I understand. Well, I, I I didn't know that you wanted to be recruited. I guess is is the point. I, I you know the the phone works both ways on that. <laughs> on that, I'm I'm sitting here. It, it's it's not like I'm Shane Beamer and I'm taking trips out to try and you know wine you and dine you. And I I didn't. You never went on an official visit. You never expressed the desire to come on an official visit to White Hart Lane or or to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So, uh, I, I will accept you with open arms. Just know I, I'm expecting a better amount of dedication. When they play Brentford at 7.30 on Christmas, uh, or on uh, Boxing Day, rather, I need you there. I need you there, and I need your, you full-throated. Yeah, I mean, look, it, that is the plan and the goal. I've already got the alarm set for Monday to wake up. Mm-hmm. I'll be at my folks in Hendersonville. It's going to be three degrees on Monday morning. Not going outside. So I'll be sitting downstairs by a fireplace. A little Irish coffee. You know, watching some soccer and... You know, but but I do have to then, as a reverse, as I am exploring this fandom, I do got to recall you out. Oh no! Because when I came to you and I was like Willie, you know, like I've already denounced the Arsenal fandom. You have the gear. We're trying to sell it. Uh, where you're even gonna you're gonna you're gonna profit off of this. This isn't just for me. Yes. You get sixty percent of all proceeds because you're in charge of selling the gear. Mm-hmm. You're angry I haven't done it yet. No, I'm not angry. But you came to me and when I was like, I, like you know, I, I deleted all Arsenal related tweets. I can't go back and do all the retweets, but my Arsenal fandom is dead. Mm. It doesn't exist. And so you were like, what do you? What do I have to do to cement the fandom? And your first offer was to buy me a kit. That's not true. I, I, I just sent you the personalized oh, kit with Marlo on it. Hang on, no. I've got a text that says, I will buy your first kit. And, and Did look, I say that? Yes. Did I really say that? And maybe this was you coming to your senses as to, to realize... That maybe this isn't going to go very well because I, I I quit the first time with 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 Tottenham, because then when you I, you were filling in on Monday, I came in, and all of a sudden you were offering to buy me a pair of socks, which isn't a bad thing. I'm a sock wearing guy. I've got a wear or I've I've got a pair of Met socks that I love beyond belief. I did. Oh, actually, yeah, here it was. I did. I did actually write this down. On uh, you texted you know, me. You know. You know what this was? It was during. It was, it was during the the Panther game, I think, on Sunday. Twelve forty eight p.m. You said I, I sent a tweet or I sent you a text. I have deleted all Arsenal related tweets. This is, this is this is this was after the World Cup. This was during the Panther game, and I, I was ready to go with the Panther game, and I was I was already feeling somewhat depressed. Yeah, and then you offered to buy me the kit. So. You actually found me in a vulnerable moment because I was I was not rooting for Messi in the World Cup, is what happened. And so you you found me in a vulnerable moment. And I said I'll buy I'll buy you a Tottenham kit in order to feel something again. But I, what this was? I'm invested. I've got I downloaded the Tottenham app on my phone. Mm. I re-downloaded the Premier League app, changed the favorite team from Arsenal to Tottenham, unfollowed Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. I blocked Arsenal. And uh, and now following all Spurs-related accounts. And so, not that I want a kit, but I just think it was funny how your tone in less than 24 hours changed from a kit to a pair of socks. I don't want anything except your arms to be open and accepting 
as I embrace the Premier League for the second time. What if, time I, what in if six I got months? you socks and a Tottenham plush? How about that? I don't know what a plush like is. A, like, a, like a stuffed animal. They call it a plush across the pond. Oh, do they have one I can put with Sermenti? Because mm-hmm. Sermenti's enjoying the new digs. Yes, I can give you. I can give you. A, I can give you a friend for Sermenti from Tottenham. The best news is that once we sell this Arsenal gear, I'm just going to reinvest it in Tottenham gear. There's a polo that I already know that I want. There you go. So, yeah, there, there you have it. I'll be there Monday morning, bright and early, 7:30 a.m. Do, do we have time for a fitty flash? Yeah, or? I can work one in really quick. Where was I going to go? Oh. Uh, because we don't have a dedicated segment into today's show. Hornets, Lakers tonight, 10.30 tip on the West Coast. What do you want to see from the Hornets? A win. I mean, that's I mean, that's simple. <laughs> I mean, no, what I want to see is them start to look like the team that we saw the other night. I feel like when it comes down to it, the Hornets are very hot and cold. And I want to see some consistency develop over the course of getting these other pieces back in here. And, and if it is going to be a situation where they're hot and cold, they're not going to get any kind of momentum going forward, and it's going to be a, a lost season. I, I want to see something streamlined, because that'll give me a little bit of hope going toward the future. Do you think there's enough time to, to for this team to play meaningful games post-All-Star break? I think there is, but it they have to go on a run. Yeah. They have to go on the kind of run that's going to make me have Kai Jones' blue hair. Yeah. And the, and remember, the, remember that, by the way? Yeah, and they, they may need multiple five-game winning streaks to get themselves. I'm only doing it once, by the way. <laughs> only doing it once. Uh, texter goes, what about a hat to cover up? Now, now, don't make fun of the man because he's balding. Yeah, it's not a full-blown bald head, but it is. I mean, it's getting worse and worse by the day. It's crazy. Uh, Fitty's going to hit the portal by week two. That's not nice. That's not nice at all. Uh, it is Weston Walker, Willie, and Fitty in for Weston Walker. We'll come back. I want to hear your most outrageous, and by outrageous, read controversial Christmas takes. Next on WFNZ. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, tingling, too. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Outside the snow is falling and friends are calling you. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Willie P. Fitty in for Wesson Walker today. So the, the genesis of this segment, the most outrageous Christmas stakes there are, are, uh, starts from a tweet that I had this morning when I said that Home Alone 2 is better than Home Alone original. Partially because New York is better than Chicago, and I think the Capers are better in in Home Alone 2. And I honestly feel like there's a little bit better acting in Home Alone 2 than there is in Home Alone 1. And I also just feel like all that Home Alone 1 showcases is just how much of a jerk the family is towards Kevin. I feel feel like there's a lot more more plausibility losing a kid in an airport than there is in losing a kid. And I understand the reasons why... They counted the one kid who was the neighbor kid instead of Kevin, et cetera, and so on. But that that was looked at by some people as being somewhat controversial. I also had the opinion on uh, Mac and Bones' show earlier this week that ham can be punted all the way to the sun as a Christmas food. I'd rather much have a turkey or a prime rib, although we in our family we do lasagna and cheesecake. Mm. What, what are your most outrageous 
Christmas takes. 704-570-9610 on the Garage or Guru text line. And with us two here. Do you not like ham like all together? Because Correct. like Correct. On Thanksgiving, like I, I now I had ham on Thanksgiving, but I, I, I want my turkey. I'm more open to eating ham as a Christmas dinner or as no. a Christmas dish. My folks, we do a non-traditional. So we do steak, crab legs, baked potato. That's fun. You know, Caesar salad. That's nice. And some type of bread. That's what and we don't we eat on Christmas Eve. We eat cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning. That's mm. I think for me, and when I, even growing up, we did Christmas breakfast. Yeah, we did that too. We we would do pancakes for breakfast on Christmas. Although I came to find out, and this 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 depressed my father more than it depressed me. Uh, both my mother and my sister just recently told my dad how much they hated the the Christmas pancake breakfast. Really, they yeah. had the audacity they to had... tell them they didn't love a family tradition. Mm-hmm. He he was very like he was very taken aback by this. And I'm like sitting there. I'm like, I, I used to, I used to be good because we just, you know, we would never have like the big family breakfast. We would always kind of, you know, it's always just a cereal or whatever. But like making the pancakes was a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. Were the pancakes not good? They're fantastic. They were like the Bisquick, the the shake and pour. Oh you know? yeah, that stuff's good. He would make them. Fr- it wouldn't be like the frozen pancakes. He would actually make. What? Stop it. He would. He would make them fresh. Uh, the bagel guy wants to know, is your lasagna dry? It is not because I mixed the ricotta with the mozzarella, so it's not dry. It actually is rather creamy. I, I just feel like if someone ever makes dry lasagna, you've got to quit cooking because there's too many ingredients in there mm-hmm. that make it just a naturally non-dry dish. Dude, I made the sauce last night. I'm telling you, meaty. Very, very meaty. Um, I'm trying to think like, I don't know if this is a controversial take, Um I think the Christmas Carol, my favorite version, is 1984 with George C. Scott playing no. Ebenezer Scrooge. No, the best, the best one is the original, like the one the from ni- like 1938 or yeah, whatever. 1938 Christmas Carol is the best Christmas Carol, and while I will also accept Muppet Christmas Carol, you got to do the one without the depressing song where uh, Ebenezer Scrooge breaks up with his with his young girlfriend, because that song is. Almost as depressing as the Christmas shoes song. The the, the love is gone. So I've oh, seen. Oh, hang on. You don't like the Christmas shoes song? No, absolutely not. Okay. That is the most depressing song in the freaking universe. I was punt having that, a, punt that into the sun. I was having a great drive in on my way to work, listening to Mac and Bone as I do every day. And they were playing that song, weren't and they? And this song comes up, which then brings up Colin Hoggard's belief that it's the worst Christmas song of all time. I agree with him. I, I agree think with it's the, I think it's so sweet. This kid is out there trying to get his mom I don't the perfect to, Christmas gift. I don't she, need to hear it. It just makes me cringe. I don't know, man. It it. it it's one of the songs I have the hardest time getting through without getting emotional about. Because I, I think it just, you know, is the perfect representation of what the Christmas spirit is all about, where you're trying to do something for others. In this case, this kid's mom. I can't I can't get down with it. Uh, Texter goes, uh, Die Hard is a great Christmas action movie. Yes. Yes. That's, that's not controversial. That is not controversial at all. I... I the the the, the anti diehard folks, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't I can't deal with you, I cannot deal with the anti diehard folks, who are either anti the movie or anti it being a Christmas movie. Anything any reason for me to see, uh, Alan Rickman on screen, I'll take it, but uh, t- nine out of ten times and ten times on Sunday because yeah, I'm, no, I'm all for it. It is a phenomenal it's it's, it's a phenomenal movie. 847 uh, uh, number texting in the Jim Carrey's Christmas Carol 
is the best one. It's really good. Uh, it's it, it's a it's an animated one. I remember it came out. God, it had to be over a decade or so mm. ago. And I mean, I remember, I remember, I put it on my wish list because I mean, The Christmas Carol is my favorite all time Christmas movie. So I have the 1984 version. I have different versions. It's a phenomenal movie. What do you feel like about the Muppet Christmas Carol? I've never seen it. You've never seen the Muppet Christmas with with, with Gonzo as the narrator? Not that I not that I can remember. Oh. No. Uh, uh, Kermit is Bob Cratchit. It's pretty good. Where can I find it? Because it's got to be on a I streaming think it's, platform. I think it's on. I want to say Disney Plus. I want to say. Hmm. Okay. Um. Someone says R.I.P. Professor Snape. I'm trying to think. See, I don't really have any controversial. I don't think I have any controversial. Uh, um, cookies over any kind of other dessert, I will say. The, the, the cook, cookies, if you do not have Christmas cookies at your dessert, you are doing it wrong. The best ones are the ones that you can get that, that they have like the little, some image printed on them. Like you oh, get yeah. like your Santa Claus's, oh, yeah. your, oh, your, yeah. rain, your Rudolph's. Yes. Um, those are absolutely fantastic. We, we, would make, we would make the spritz sugar cookies. With the with the uh, with the sprinkles, although, and again, you, this is this must be the year where like my innocence died or whatever. Uh, I've known my fiance for three years now, and she had you know she she made a confession towards me. She said, "You like those dry cookies, like the sugar cookies that are because whenever they ship them, my mother ships them to me. They get there, they're not fresh, they're not spongy, they're kind of dry, but they still taste amazing." Mm-hmm. She's like, "Oh, you like the dry cookies, like like the sugar cookies and the gingerbread." I'm like. I don't like dry cookies. She's a you know she's a moist chocolate chip, fresh out of the oven type person when it comes right. to cookies. I personally just like you know good tasting cookies, whether they're hard, whether they're dry, whether they're whatever. Yeah, Max said this morning he's a snickerdoodle guy. I couldn't agree more. Pies just don't go well at no. Christmas. I don't know what it is about it. It just doesn't look right when you see a pie at the Christmas or when you're going to a Christmas meal. How do you feel about cheesecake? Merry Christmas. Uh, Christmas. Cheesecake. I think is the most versatile dessert out there. Mm. I can eat cheesecake any time of the year, whether it's hot outside, cold outside, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, whatever it is. I'm always down for a good piece of cheesecake. We, because of the PhD, um, we were only doing cookies for Christmas. Just that that that's going to be my indulgence outside of the lasagna. But I did walk past the freezer aisle at my Publix, and there was a Junior's Cheesecake sitting in there in that freezer, and I almost picked it up. Have you ever made cheesecake? Uh, we made like we, we, we made kind of like a hybrid cheesecake, like a healthy version of a cheesecake for Thanksgiving. It was all right, uh, but I've not made it. I've not made the traditional cheesecake ever myself. My, I had a buddy in college who used to make them like repeatedly. It's very difficult. That's what yeah. That's what my my mom because like she made one when I was younger. And like I confessed and told her that I thought it wasn't very good. It's very difficult. She's gotten a lot better because she went at lengths to say it's a very difficult dish to make. It's incredibly difficult. Uh, Texter goes, what meats are you putting in your sauce? Half sausage, half ground beef. And uh, start it out with a little pancetta. Start out with a little pancetta, onions, garlic, and then a little tomato paste. Throw in the crushed tomato, uh, then throw in the, uh, then throw in the meats and, uh, and then the crushed tomatoes. It sounds good. I think I've expressed to you I'm not a big lasagna guy. It's really, really dumb out of you. But because I ate it so much growing up, like bologna and spaghetti, mm. my taste buds just outgrew lasagna. So I guess whenever we got come over for a big time Tottenham match, I will. I, have some lasagna. I will have. I will have plenty of leftovers. So I'll bring you in a plate. I promise you, I'll bring you in a plate. 
The 704 number says that cheesecake is easy to make. It's like three ingredients. Yeah, but the cooking process and the, and the chilling, it's, it's time-consuming. <laughs> uh, bagel guy goes, classic cheesecake or a flavor? I, I usually like a classic regular cheesecake. If pressed to go a flavor, I'll go strawberry, but I can't do strawberry because my wife's allergic. Yeah, no, I like classic, and then sometimes I'll put just, you know, some Hershey's chocolate, you know, over the top of it. But like a, a good cheesecake's like a good steak. If it's good, it doesn't need any mm. doesn't need any toppings. It's true, key lime cheesecake is not bad. Mm. You, you can't do the key lime. I don't like key lime anything. I don't like lime anything. That's that's the key to it all. <laughs> if you weren't so damn <laughs> lovable, your corniness would be somewhat of a turnoff. Uh, those are the controversial Christmas steaks. I don't know if we really got any. Um, this guy goes, Harold and Kumar Christmas. Any movie with Mila Kunis and lingerie, sign me up. Uh, really? I, might, I might have to go watch that just to see. I'm watching her, and I'm going through that 70s show right now. Are you? So she's really young in the show, still extremely attractive. Her and lingerie? I don't know if I can control myself. Uh, here's one. The movie Love Actually Sucks, and agree the shoes song is terrible. I, I've seen Love Actually once. That a Hallmark movie? No, it's the it's a very it's a mainstream movie. Love actually, it's the one with the the guy who's at the door, and he holds the signs up and he puts the sign down. You 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 know this is a cultural reference. It's a cultural reference, Vinny. Yeah, I I haven't seen it. Are you but surprised? You, but, but do you, but do you know the cultural reference of somebody sitting at the door and you know having a bunch of signs and not saying anything and putting the sign down and and revealing more words? You don't know that cultural reference? No. Man, you are such a sheltered person. I was. Lancaster did not do well on your upbringing. It is Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We are panthering up for the final hour. All Panthers getting ready for the Lions. We'll ask you next, what's a better path for the Panthers? Make the playoffs or best draft position? Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.